Hello, and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. Together, we're sharing ideas that we believe will help grow stronger, healthier families that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook and leave us a review and a like on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Megan Dwyer. Megan is a certified financial planner and host of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. After spending 15 years watching women take a passive role in the management of their money, she's on a mission to help them stop playing small. By challenging the societal norms around women and money, Megan aims to empower women to make money decisions out of a sense of abundance and confidence rather than scarcity and fear. When Megan isn't working, she loves running, writing, and snuggling with her kids. Welcome, Megan. We are happy to have you here, and it is a wonderful time to be having conversations about money. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. We uh, we were super excited because we actually have been on Megan's show and we got to talk about all things education and things like that. And so now we get to have her expertise come in and help our families with their money, their finances, maybe some tips and tricks on what do we do with these crazy budgets when our families are growing or our families are expanding or in this case, maybe back to school time because this happens to be August of 2023. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited. Let's get into it. Sounds good. So actually, I'll go start. So Megan, um, you you kind of briefly hinted in it, but how did you get started into break, helping to get women more into the money story, into the money aspect of it, of, of life and their families? Yeah, so... I am a financial planner and um, I've been in this industry now, oh gosh, I think you said in my bio 15, but I think it's now probably more like 16, 17 years. Um, And it's a very male dominated industry, right? And um, I really, I got into it in the first place because I just wanted to learn. I knew I didn't know a lot about money. We weren't taught this in school, right? And so I wanted to learn more about how it all worked for my own personal circumstances and how I should be able to, how I I should be thinking about credit cards and managing the inflows and the outflows and what are, what are stocks and bonds and what are taxes? How do those work? How does that factor into all this stuff? Right. So I really just was curious personally. And so I, I got into this industry. I was, I I worked for um, a large wealth management firm for 10 plus years and really just got my feet wet and started to see more of how people interact around money. And I found it so fascinating that you would, you know, oftentimes I would work directly with, with individual clients. And oftentimes you would see that your stereotypical you know, husband and wife couple who would come in and you'd sit down for a meeting and you'd sit across the table from them. And the man was the one having the conversation and the woman kind of sat, maybe sat next to him, maybe zoned out, maybe paid attention, maybe it made it seem like it didn't really have a lot to say, right? Oftentimes wasn't really engaged in the conversation, didn't ask a lot of questions. Um, And I was always really curious about that and kind of drawn towards that. And it just made me realize that these, the industry was um, established in it for, for men, honestly, it was because back in the day. And I don't even want to say how far back it wasn't that far back. We're talking like 1970s. Women weren't allowed to have bank accounts in their own name. Women weren't allowed to have a credit card in their own name. Right. 
And so at the time, and I actually did an, an episode on this because I was just really curious on kind of the history of, of, um, women in finance. And I, it, it was because women were always deemed to be that more emotional, that much more emotional, and therefore not as rational and as responsible when it comes to something as important as finances. And I was just like, mind blown. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what world are we in right now? That was, I mean, that was the 1970s. It wasn't that long ago. Right? Yeah. I mean, my mom was an adult at that stage. Right. And this, these are the messages that we're getting from culture. And I just became super passionate about trying to realign those messages and change those messages because I didn't think it makes sense. I don't think it's fair. And I think that women, yeah, maybe women, maybe women are more, more in tune with their emotions, but I think that's all a good thing. And I really think that, that, um, all things, all spending, all things, money is emotional because you can't avoid it. Right. And there's, there's just varying degrees of when and how those emotions come out, right? And it all depends on your values and what's important to you. So I really kind of went on a little bit more of like a self-exploration journey after that and and realizing that, hey, I'm very interested in working with women. Um, I'm very interested in, in learning how women approach money, how women think about money. And um, oftentimes, you know, you see even, even with my peers now, I am, um, I'm 40 years old. I've got two young kids and I have a lot of colleagues, peers, people my age that just default and say, oh, my husband handles the finances. And I just, you know, I just go do the shopping and I don't look at receipts or whatever. And I just realize how much power they're giving away, right? Because we all know that anything could happen at any time. And if you don't have that kind of basic foundation and knowledge around, around first of all, how these things work. And second of all, your your family's own personal circumstances, financial circumstances, then you're just doing yourself a disservice and you're going to be at a, at, at a disadvantage. And again, in the work that I still do with clients, um, I do work with a lot of um, divorcees and widows. And I see them come to us and not have any clue of how this all works. So we're helping kind of hold their hand through this mess that likely could have been avoided if they just had that general knowledge in the first place. So I'm just really passionate about helping women to understand that there is more than just the numbers too. Like, yes, you do need to know the numbers, you have to be able to feel comfortable enough asking good questions um, and to to understand how this all works. But there's also a relationship with money component to this that I think gets missed when, you know, working with your typical financial advisor out there. Yeah. And, you know, that what you just said is really interesting because that's not our typical story, but it is for a lot of other people. Right. Um, You know, when we got married. I said, yeah, he gets the finances, he gets to, and then I was learning about all those different things because again, we weren't really taught in school. We had the basic checkbooking class and that was it kind of thing. Yeah, right? At they, least you had that. I didn't even. Yeah, yeah. And that dropped off soon thereafter. We, after, we actually, after we graduated. We actually had basic home economic classes yeah, where, I, where I went to school. So yeah. that was in the seventies. So that, that's changed a lot. Yeah. So then we started working on things together. And then, um, you know, but like you said, if I hadn't have had those basics, 
when he had his accident and things started going crazy with all of our things, I wouldn't have known where to step in or how to kind of take over the budgeting, the planning, all those kinds of things. So yeah, it's a really important conversation that everybody should have even before they get married, right? At the beginning of that conversation, how do you handle finances from your family? How do I handle finance from my family? How are we going to mix and merge them together? Or what is it going to look like? Because, you know, money is one of those things that causes interesting results in marriages sometimes too. It's, I mean, isn't it the number one cause of divorce? I feel like there's, you you see stats about that all the time. And yeah, of course, because money's emotional. You can't, you can't work around it. Money represents so many things to so many different people, whether that's security, safety, um, you know, like just health, general health and being able to, to take care of yourself and there's a lot of um there's a lot of deeply embedded emotions and and stories that are all part of this and yeah i agree i think ideally if you can have those conversations and you have that self awareness before getting married amazing that's awesome and and more power to you you're going to be stronger because of it but oftentimes we don't see that actually happening and and people get married not knowing because again we don't talk about money. There's a stigma in our culture, right? So we just assume that, you know, everything will be fine. And then when you do start to hit some bumps in the road, there's tension and you don't, you're not trained or, or you're, you're not taught how to handle those bumps in the road. So there's a lot of pieces to this that I think, you know, get intertwined. There's the emotional component. There's the, the actual financial component. And there's also the marriage, right? That, that is the overarching, um, kind of piece of this that you know you want to be able to make sure stay solid yeah exactly the commitment the dedication the working things out when things don't go quite the way you were expecting them to go right right exactly so that this whole conversation so far has just like sent me off on like so many different tangents already there are so many like long conversations that we can have Uh, you know even back into like anthropology and the way men and and women differ because of the way they were brought up. So mm-hmm. I, I think fairness isn't quite the right term, but but the way the way men's brains work are different than women's. It, mm-hmm. it, it is a thing. So um, because men are more interested in things and numbers and stuff like, I think that we have a slight advantage in the long term aspect of the finances but in the in, and that's how we kind of handled it in the short term my wife handled all of the short term stuff she was yeah. was balancing and getting all of that stuff done but the longer term strategic stuff i had a different way of looking at it than she did so we kind of divvied it up so it's not like i did everything i told her what we were doing and showed plans but and then again here's an interesting thing once i hurt my head um, I actually damaged the both my my temporal lobes, which is where your um, emotions are are kind of stored. So I lost emotional control for for quite a few years. Yeah. When I did that, I had to give her all of the finances mm-hmm. because I became untrustworthy with money because of the emotional um, mm. stability that I had yeah. because of the brain damage. I couldn't be trusted with the money. I'm still not necessarily because I can get emotionally wrapped up in something and then my money's gone really quickly without a thought so so she is now my check and I don't spend money without asking her because again I'm not sure because because of the stuff that's the way my my brain was hurt so yeah so you know there there are 
their emotion is a very big deal when yeah. it comes to money. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think emotion is the biggest piece to it. Right. So you can't discount that. And I feel like, you know, you go, the, the world is the financial world has kind of historically been, these are the numbers. This is the way it is. Let's, let's just show you, here's the plan, right? This is it's black and white. And we don't take into account the fact that we are human. We are emotional beings. And sometimes, yeah, emotion gets impedes maybe the rational conversation. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can do all the analysis and the numbers say one thing, but you have the conversation with somebody and the emotions might say another. So it's my job as, you know, financial, um, planner is helping the clients be able to assess that, like balance that because that's what life is. It's not like you, I feel like if you're put on, you know, your a plan or a budget or a spending plan, whatever people want to call it, um, it's almost restrictive as if you're on a diet or something like that, right? Like something's being taken away from you. So you need to be able to have that balance. You need to be able to have that flow and allow yourself to be able to, you know, spend money on things that make you happy, but may seem, you know, quote unquote, silly. You don't have to stick to the plan necessarily. You have to be able to, I think planning for that kind of like fun piece, planning for that balance is all part of this conversation too. Like cause the, the restriction is what makes you kind of um, go in the reverse direction. So financial planning sounds like it's all about being prepared for the emotional shifts, not oh, necessarily yeah. the life yeah. shifts, but the emotional mm-hmm. shifts. Like I'm having a bad day. I'm going to go spend all of this money to feel better. It's like, oh, that's not in my budget. That's not in my plan. You have a structure to help you deal with the emotional roller coaster yeah. when you. Yeah. Have- yeah. I, I think it's both. I mean, we certainly are planning for the long term. We're planning for all the life events, right? And but fully knowing that with that comes emotion, right? And there's going to be emotion every single day, right? It's kind of that long term and there's that short term piece to it too. So, right. So with all those life events, you know, let's go like retirement or um there was a death in the family and there's an inheritance or um a baby's born or there's a marriage or a divorce or whatever, right? These are all things that that um create emotions from for yourself and for all people that it touches right within your family, all the different family members, there's that. And that's, you know, our job is to help prepare you for the best case scenario in that case, right? How do we plan for those things as best as we can? Um, while also, yeah, planning for the short short term too, those fluctuations and knowing that, Hey, along this ride is going to be, it's going to be bumpy. There's going to be some ups and downs. We're going to have days that just are, are difficult. And how do we kind of um, how do we plan for that as, and as intentionally as possible? And that's what I really focus on, um, through my podcast and through that work is really focusing on intention and backing up because I feel like so many of us will react and, you know, we use, I, I, myself, this, my podcast started actually in, um, late 2020. So during the pandemic and I was struggling at the time. I had two little ones. I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. I was working full-time. My husband lost two jobs and I (laughs) was, it was a lot of stress and I was holding down the floor and 
I would, I couldn't go anywhere. Right? I couldn't leave the house because we were in a pandemic. And so I would, you know, online shop and I'm like, what am I doing? After a while, I realized, you know, I would buy things, things would get delivered and I'd have stuff kind of, you know, in the closet. And I'm like, what am I, I'm not going to wear, why did I buy these shoes? Like for what? I'm not going to wear these shoes. Like what's the point here? And it hit me that I was spending money shopping to fill a void, to fill an emptiness that was inside me because I was going through a really hard time. And I wasn't giving myself the credit or the acknowledgement that this was a hard time. I was just beating myself up for all the things that I wasn't doing, quote unquote, right. You know, so I realized that I was going through a lot and that if I am, other people must be too right now. So I decided to share it and share what I was going through. And the, the podcast is really kind of my journey. It's my little insights and my thoughts and my beliefs and the things that I, that came up for me during childhood or, you know, college or post-college or, you know, my young adult life and those stories and, and really starting to question them and turn things on their head, right? Like these little, these things that we're always taught around money, the stories like money doesn't grow on trees. That's scarcity. That's a scarcity story. Um, yeah, there's so there's so many of those beliefs that you don't even realize are in your subconscious, but they're there. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to deep d- dig a little deeper and start to explore those more. And, and what came of it is sort of my like one of my biggest like themes or pillars, if you will, is that I keep always going back to is this idea of intention and not and not um, not reacting, not be and, and it it also plays into mindfulness and presence and, and, you know, shopping instead of shopping to, you know, imagine that you're anywhere, but where you are right now, which is what I was doing at that time, I was buying like, you know, fancy shoes as if I was going somewhere or I was going on a vacation or I was, uh, because I wanted to be at the time anywhere, but where I was at that moment, because it was, it was hard. Um, and so I, I get, I know that, that, that's very relatable. That's something that a lot of people can, can, um, feel like they've been through as well. And so I, the, what I really wanted to do is just step back, like, just bring it back a little bit. Like what's really going on underneath the surface with an overarching umbrella of self-compassion, right? Like what's really going on here and start to explore that a little bit more, taking the kind of reactive shopping, spending money piece out of it. And if you can do this, I realized that as through this journey too, that it's, it's a lot of the same work. I do it from the angle of money, but it's a lot of the same work. You could do this for any aspect of your life, right? Parenting, um, like nutrition or whatever, like a diet. There's so many different pieces of this kind of self-awareness journey that this is that I'm on. And that's what this is. It's a self-awareness journey, just also taking, taking it from the angle of money. Yeah. So, you know, right now we're, there's a lot of things going on money wise right now. So it seems like money's not going very far and prices are going up. And right now we have a lot of families that are needing to go back to school and yep. have yeah. this cost of, so to, to people, to parents who might be a little stressed out because of the cost of school, what are some tips? What are some ideas? How how can we make this easier for our parents who might be on a little more of a, of a budget through these times trying to get their kids into school? 
Yeah, I love this um, because I just did an episode on this. So the first thing that I want to say here is that around navigating back to school season is that, like we just said, we have to be aware of the emotions that are going on here. This is end of summer is a very transitional time. It's always a difficult time for both parents and kids, right? So I myself have, my youngest is going, I have a sec, an incoming second grader and my youngest is going into kindergarten. And so what that brings up for me as I'm, you know, going through the school supply list and thinking about all the stuff that I have to do is underneath it all. Oh my God, I don't have a baby in the house anymore. My baby's five. He's going off to school. And that's a lot. For me to process. That's a lot. And, and that's emotional for me. Right. So I don't want to necessarily, sh- you know, shop and act on emotion. However, it's really important to recognize what's going on underneath all of it. What are all those fears, right? Like, yes, the kids might be nervous about their teachers and who's going to be in their class this year, but you know what? So am I. I'm nervous that what if, what if the teacher, you know, he doesn't get along with the teacher or what if I'm not going to get along with the other moms from the kids in the class, right? There's all these other things that are actually going on that might cause us discomfort and anxiety. So there's room for all of it. And that's what I I just want to first start with that, like preface this whole conversation with like, recognize that don't shove that away. Don't shove that down. Don't, don't not acknowledge it because all those emotions are there. So let's like, just acknowledge and say, yeah, okay, I'm going through this right now. And a lot of other parents are too. Right. Um, so the other thing is, you know, nostalgia that I want to bring up because when I, whenever I do, and I'm sure a lot of parents do this as well, you know, when you see the back to school commercials and you go to the target or you go to the stores and you, and you see all the stuff, you're like, Oh my gosh, I remember my trapper keeper from third grade. And I remember the, whatever the Lisa Frank folders and all the uh-huh. erasers and stuff. And, and, okay. and you just have to like recognize that, that some of that as parents, we relive I do anyway, I re I relive my childhood through my kids and I, it's a really amazing experience yet at the same time. Now I'm also the parent, so I'm the responsible one and I have to be able to make the responsible decisions and choices for them. Right. When I was a kid. Um, so I started thinking about this too, this whole concept of back to school shopping. When I was a kid, back to school shopping was like a thing I yeah. used to go to the department store with my mom and my sister and my aunts and my grandmother. And I used to try on all different outfits and I was like my own little Barbie doll, right? Like I got to that. And that was just, I loved it. That was just such a fun experience for me. Um, and the thing is, is when I think about back to school and I think about that experience, I also realize it brings up other emotions. Like I'm not going to like, you know, there's some of those people that I used to go back to school shopping with aren't around anymore. Like my grandmother isn't here anymore. My aunt isn't here anymore. Like there's a lot. So there's, there's the emotional component to that. We don't necessarily need to recreate that experience for our kids. I have two boys. They don't give a crap what they wear. (laughs) And so like, do we need to, the, the idea that I had in my head of buying them brand new whole wardrobes every single August, September, we need to rethink that a little bit. Like they don't need that. What And and what do they, first of all, they don't want to have that experience. They don't like trying on clothes. They don't want to do that. So 
why do it? Right. And honestly, that's where we can also look and think like, what do they have? My kids we're lucky enough that there's a lot of boys in my family, so they get tons of hand-me-downs. And so we, we've we gotten a bunch from the cousins and all of that. So I, it's sort of like a check-in with yourself on those expectations. Are the expectations the kids or are they yours, uh-huh. right? So that's something that I, that was really big for me as I was kind of going through this. Um I grew up with three brothers. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. I was like, oh, the outfits, looking at the different dresses and all the different things for school. Right. And the boys were like, yeah, mom, just give us some clothes. Yes, exactly. They didn't care at all. Yeah. Our parents, my parents, we didn't actually have a lot of money. I had a couple of sisters as well. And Mm -hmm. so back to school time was always like, um, I get this was my one new pair of shoes a year. And for us, it was, it was like, it was our one time of shopping. It wasn't necessarily back to school. It was, Hey, let's see if we can get some clothes that'll work for you for a year. Mm -hmm. So yes, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a happy, it wasn't a happy thing. It was a, Oh, I hope we can get to school yeah with all the stuff we need yeah yeah it's so interesting right the the experiences that that everybody has and how that impacts kind of your view of things now right it's so funny to me because back to school yes kids go back to school every year right they're off for the summer they go back to school but back to school isn't a holiday right like you see all the marketing right it's this isn't christmas this isn't easter this isn't you know a reason to that you particularly need to buy extra things, especially if your kids don't really need it. So I think taking an inventory of what they actually have and what they what what fits them right now for clothes yeah. is really important. But the other piece to this also is recognizing that there's just really good marketing out there, right? It's meant to get us to spend and it works, right? Yeah. And it, all of these things elicit emotions. <laughs> You're nodding, Christina. <laughs> Bringing this a little bit about back to what we do with, with our model, with the coaching and the online model, there isn't necessarily a school year. There isn't yeah. a return to school day. It's like yeah. education is something that just keeps growing and building until it yeah. becomes a year round thing. And so like now that, now right. that, you know, kids, kids get this thing, this, this idea that they get summers off. And then when they hit 19 or 22 and they get out of college and they suddenly get to work and there's suddenly no summers off it's like that's that's a whole thing it's like Mm -hmm. and they also think oh i'm 18 i don't have to learn anymore school's done as as a business person you know that that's not true so so to to be able to grow education and to not have a start and a stop time each year to just make it a continuous part of your life that's that's kind of what we're trying to do yeah in a way Maybe we can break this back to school thing and just <laughs> eventually and just have. It's silly. I mean, I do think it's not going to go away, right? It's in our culture. It's embedded there. It's not going to go away. And this is the time of year where school supplies do go on sale, right? So you can get the pack of markers and the notebooks and all the the, the pencils and stuff for a buck. Awesome. Do that. Use that as the time to stock up on that stuff. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, I was looking through my kids stuff the other day. We have a whole box of pencils that are pre-sharpened, by the way. I have no idea how that happened, but I'm psyched about it. We have extra glue sticks. We have a whole extra pair of scissors, like kids' scissors, um, which is great, good for the little ones going into kindergarten too. And I'm just like, okay, so 
you, you really just have to, the school supplies in and of itself is like the cheapest thing. So take advantage of the fact that there are, there are sales, there are marketing right out there right now, but you don't have to go crazy. And I'm talking kind of K through 12. College is a different story, right? Because they go and they live there and that's a whole other experience. I'm just kind of going with what I know right now. Um, and, you know, again, my kids do need new shoes. They do. They are boys and they wear their shoes and their clothes hard. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, you know, I got them, I spent the money and got my, um, especially my younger son and I got him two pairs of shoes because he gets kind of situ like s- stuck on one pair and fixated is the word I was trying to say. He gets fixated on one pair. So I kind of got two pairs of those same ones so that if one's wet or dirty or something like that, then we can always use the other ones, but that's, imp- but that, that makes my life that much easier. So it's all about intention. If I want my mornings to go smoother, that's worth the money. Yeah. When I find shoes I like, I'll buy two or three pair just so that when they wear out, I don't have to go try on new ones. Exactly. Shirt I like, I'll buy like three or four. So it's like when that one's worn out, I still have that shirt. So it seems silly, but it's so practical. It's it's so practical, and especially with little ones. And my my big thing is getting them up and ready for school and out the door in the morning. And that is go, always going to be a transition. So I'm just thinking ahead, trying to see what I can do to make life a little bit easier and smoother. Right. Exactly. So if a family is kind of looking at talking with their kids, what, I mean, have you kind of gone into that? How do you talk to your children about money? What are some tips for our families to actually start this conversation a little bit earlier? So that we aren't having these, you know, stuck points or these stories that don't necessarily make sense in the future. Yeah. Well, I think the, yeah, absolutely. The first thing is we need to catch ourselves. We need to be able to, again, have our own, like that's that self-awareness that I talked about. That's the foundational kind of piece of this. Like, what is my own relationship with money? Because what are the things that are coming up? What, what are the things that I'm just saying? Like I found myself um, I don't know, last year or something to be like, like my, we were at a, probably a target <laughs> and, and I was with my kids and my, my older son, Colin was like, mom, can I get this? Can I get this? And I was like, do you think money grows on trees? Mom and dad have to work really hard for that money. And it just made me question. Like I just stopped myself in my track because that was my automatic response because yeah. that's what I was taught. Right. right. And so um, that's exactly what my mom would say to me growing up. And so I was like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I had to take a pause and I just had to recognize that, okay, is that really what I believe? Do I believe that those are scarcity stories? Those are scarcity things coming out, right? So I'm trying not to live my life in scarcity mode, nor do I want to pass that on to my kids, right? So the m- most important thing I would say is we got to catch our own words and our own how our own behaviors, right? When it comes to money, kids, yeah. what a, what's the phrase? Um, they don't, it's not what's taught. It's what's caught right with kids. So they observe and they listen to everything. Right. And then I think, you know, my kids are still little. Um, so, but I still, but I think it's important, you know, they get, um, every time, well, and during the school year, whenever on, whenever my um, mother and father-in-law occasionally they would come over on um one day a week after school and whenever Colin would do his homework my father-in-law would give him a dollar 
And so he's like starting to like understand like where money comes from. Right. So I think that's good. And we're saving it in our piggy bank until he decides that there's something that he wants. And then we go count the money. And that's sort of where we're at right now. And again, with also recognizing being aware of the language that I use around them, I feel like as you get a little bit older, like he's not quite there yet, but when you, when you get more into that kind of preteen um, stage, you start to, the conversations start to change a little bit. They're around comparing yourself to the other kids, right? Because this person has these shoes and this person has this super cool, whatever, trendy outfit or backpack or like whatever it is. Or even, you know, this family went on this fancy vacation over, over the summer and we didn't do that. We went camping. Do you know what I mean? So there, those kind of conversations are going to come up. And when you get to that point, what I like to do is, or what I tell people to at least start to consider is dig a little deeper with your child. And instead of saying, okay, yes, that person went on the a fancy vacation, say they, they went to Europe, okay, over the summer. What is it about that vacation that makes you feel a little jealous? Like what, what's that feeling? Is it that, is it that that kid got to spend quality time with their family? Is it that they got to go somewhere new that they didn't get to go before? Like the adventure, the exploration aspect of it? Um, is it just that they went somewhere fancy and you want people to think that, that, that they're, they went somewhere fancy and therefore people think that 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 person is fancy as a result and you want that family is it or you want that feeling is it the craving and the connection and the the um fitting in that you really want right there's so much more than what the actual thing is it's so much more than that because it doesn't really matter where that person went on vacation it's maybe it's the attention and maybe it's the fitting in maybe it's the feeling good about yourself or feeling cool or maybe it is the connection with your family, or maybe it is that you want to go explore somewhere new and that's cool. And if, and that's awesome. Once you can kind of like pinpoint what exactly it is about that, then you can start to maybe find ways to work around that. Then you can kind of like recreate it in your own world. Like how do you get that feeling now, maybe without the super expensive trip to Europe or something like that? So, so question, are your kids to the age now where when you take them out to a restaurant, they order the most expensive thing on the menu? No, not yet. It's always mac and cheese and chicken tenders. That's it. Right. Because it's really weird because at some point your kids are also going to look at the menu and suddenly the thing that they want <laughs> will be the thing with the, with the highest, price, the highest tag. price tag. So I think that's also kind of part of because, you know, it's not that they wanted to go to Europe. It's that they wanted to be able to spend that kind of money. Yeah. And, you know, something you were talking about also about the words that you say um, is very important. I have to work on that a lot. And one of the tricks that I use is I put everything on an easy scale. So when I talk about stuff anymore, I don't talk about how hard things are. If I want to talk about hard, I'm talking about rocks or bricks mm. or something. That's actually hard. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing something, I put it on an easy scale. So it could be really incredibly, horribly not easy. <laughs> you know, it can be really, really not easy. But mm -hmm. if you're concentrating on the ease of the activity, then not easy, you're still, it's still putting it and thinking about it in terms of ease, in terms I of that. instead of opposite of how hard it is. So yeah. if you're, oh, that was really hard 
then oh yeah it was really hot then you're then it becomes harder because that's kind of what yeah. you're about and what you're focusing yeah. on so i put things on the easy scale super not easy like calculus very not easy <laughs> addition super duper easy so i put stuff on like easy scale. i love that it's it is it's re- it's powerful right do you do you notice the impact oh, yeah. that it has on you and those christine i'm just saying yeah those living around you because it's like words matter words have illicit emotions and i feel like again you know as part of this i'm not going to get into like the manifestation and abundance and all that but what you put out is what you get back i do believe that there's like an energy kind of a give and take right that's that's going on and yeah if you if if your internal world is making it <laughs> is 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 resisting right then of course you're going to continue to have things to struggle right to, to struggle but if you i like that easy scale that's really cool i'm going to think if about that thinking about money in terms of abundance and put it on an abundance scale instead of a lack yeah yeah absolutely and that's the thing i i just i don't i it's important to me that my kids don't grow up in this in a, in a world where they're limited or where they feel limited, they feel stuck. They feel like there's only one path to being able to be happy in this world, right? And this is something that you you guys, I think we've talked we talked a little bit about on um, on my show is is kind of debunking the idea that there's only one way to do something, which right. is you know in in your world, it's that Education. path of like going to your regular your stereotypical like school system and college and all of that. And there's other routes, there's other, there's other paths. And I I don't want them to feel like they're stuck in any one particular path. Like they have to please somebody. And again, I think all of that is wrapped up in that scarcity um, mindset and lack. Yeah, exactly. So when you were talking about, you know, the vacation and things like that, one of the things that popped into my brain was core values and bringing it back to the family core values. Yeah. That family vacation may have been aligned with that family's core values, but may have been aligned to our core values because we are more into the the down to earth, the non-electronic, the non-fancy kind of stuff, but we still love each other so much. And we care about each other so much that that's our core value. So, I mean, yeah. that was just something that popped into my head when you're having yeah. conversations with those kids. It's like, how does that align with us and our family? Or how does that align with where we want to be? So, yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point that those conversations around family core values should be had. Yeah. And I think a a lot of families don't, right? Because they're just in reactive mode and winging it. And I think that, again, this is all part of being intentional. What are our values? What do we care about? What do we want to instill in our kids mm-hmm. that they grow up with and then they pass on, right? And how they live their lives. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is a really good opportunity. Again, I think my kids are still too little to have those conversations, but as they get a little older and they get to be at that age where they're comparing each other, it's not about that it's about it. you're absolutely right like just because the family next door has this or has that doesn't mean that that's something that that we have to have that's important to them for whatever reason it's important to them just like what we have is important to us for our our own reasons yeah, yeah there's a song that i've been hearing on I, i'm not sure the song or who the singer is but it's called life's not about what's better than it's like oh you're doing this well this is better oh you're doing this well this is better 
Oh, you have this? Well, this is better. Life's not about what's better than. It's it's right. what's good for me. So it's like, right. yeah, that person's doing that and it might seem better than what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But if you actually look at the dynamics, that wouldn't necessarily make me happy, even though that seems more exciting. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the whole checking. Yeah. That That's the, that's the self-awareness checking in. And this is something that I tell parents, moms all the time, like, we're constantly on this, as I call it, we're on this treadmill, right? We're just going, 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 going in reactive mode. We very rarely take the time to hop off the treadmill, slow down, take some breaths, check in with ourselves. What are we feeling right now? How do we want to feel, right? What is that? like? And, and recognize that there's like little tiny baby steps that we can take to move towards how we want to feel. We just have to I think it's so important to know that first, like what, what is, what is going on underneath the surface? And again, we live in a culture that I think, um, that really promotes this reactive mode and just constantly going. And in, in fact, it, you know, praises, you know, the, the chaotic, just constant running on the treadmill kind of thing and just get it done, get it done, get it done. Right. And, and I just feel like, that is so contradictory to how a um, happy life should be led in my mind. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> you are having an yeah. epidemic of, of depression and a lot of yeah. people who are not wanting to be alive right now. And so that metric is huge right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm also an integration and life coach. So yeah, people are losing touch with reality. They think their job in society and all the stuff that society is telling them will make them happy. And so they're going for it. And then once they start to get it and it's not making them happy, then it's really not making them happy because they're losing, they're losing touch with, with who they are in life in pursuit of stuff. And so to stop and and come back to life once in a while is incredible. Yeah. We're not here for a pile of things. We're here for so much more than that connections exactly megan this has been a wonderful conversation i am so glad we had this conversation have we reached everything that you kind of wanted to talk about today or was there something that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to talk about i don't think so i think you guys got the point um i really just wanted to again bring that awareness and uh, self-awareness and intention that's really the theme um, and you know, if the listeners out there want to learn more about me and kind of my insights, you can go check out the podcast too. Cause there's a lot of really juicy, great little nuggets that I, that I put out there. So, um, go check that out. Well, you do have a beautiful energy and you're talking about money and you're, you're kind of moving, you're, you're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you are having issues with money, if you do just want some more information, check her out. Her heart's in the right place. She's moving in in directions that are wonderful. So, you know, can't, can't possibly recommend her enough. So thank you so very, very much for being here today. Everything will be in the show notes, but Megan, just go ahead and say it out loud. What's the best way to contact you in the name of your podcast one more time? Yeah. So um, the podcast is called Money Isn't Scary. You can listen to that anywhere you get your podcast. Um, and I just launched a brand new website, moneyisnscary.com. It's all pretty easy. And, um, so you can, you can reach out to me there. There's a, a little contact me page. Um, and you can find me on, um, both Instagram and Facebook as well at money isn't scary. All pretty easy. 
Excellent. Thank you so very, very much. All right, everybody, we are so glad you're here. And if you're still with us at the end, thank you for staying with us. And hopefully you found all of those little gold nuggets that we sprinkled throughout. And make sure you reach out to either us, Vibrant Family Education, or to Megan and ask some more questions and find out more about what we do and how we can help serve families so families can grow to be happy, healthy, and successful. And be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. Leave a like, leave a comment, tell us how we're doing. And thank you so much for being here. All right. Bye for now, everybody.